0: Hello, my name is Jacob Hyman, host of A Day A Week Podcast, a podcast of sorts consisting of readings of the works of Servant of God Dorothy Day, Peter Maurin, and writings of the Church Fathers on the Social Kingship of Christ. Before moving farther with the writings of Dorothy Day, I believe it important to introduce the most influential person in the life of Dorothy, next to Christ himself, Peter Maurin. Peter Maurin was the co-founder of the Catholic Worker Movement alongside Dorothy, and was the intellectual powerhouse of the two. Dorothy concerned herself with the conditions of the poor and society as they were, where Peter concerned himself with the poor and society as they should be. His personalist and communitarian ethic is most well described in the program of his Green Revolution, which involved clarification of thought, houses of hospitality, and agronomic universities. He believed in the most loving and holy task of making a society where it is easier for men to be good. To understand this forgotten radical, Four articles in The Catholic Worker have been curated, each alternating between Marin's revolutionary program and Day's analysis of the man himself. While listening to these words and their arresting call to Catholic action, I challenge you to make your listening a prayer, and listen deeply to the life of Marin himself, and how his social program was founded out of a deep, daily encounter with Christ in prayer and in the poor. As is written in one of the essays, People who need hospitality and who are suffering in body, mind, and soul are not the ones to be starting agronomic universities, even though God has always used the mean and lowly, the weak and powerless, to do his work. Where in your life do you need that hospitality which Christ and his church provide? Where in your mind, body, or soul might Christ want to share his love for you and bring healing? Might you look to the inspiring life of Peter Moran, and see his humility and charity he had in times of hardship, and ask him to ask Christ to give you the same. Servant of God, Dorothy Day, Peter Maren, Hora Pronobis. Marin's Program June-July, to July, 1933 Summary. Outlines Peter Martin's three-step program of social reconstruction, roundtable discussions, houses of hospitality, farm colonies, led by the laity working at the principles in the Pope's encyclicals on social justice. Frances Perkins, Secretary of Labor, says that she is grateful for every plan which is sent in suggesting a method of reconstruction. Like the government, The Catholic worker is interested in hearing what the Catholic layman has to say. It offers itself as a mouthpiece, and it pledges its cooperation in the working out of the principles in the Pope's encyclicals on social justice. We believe that there are many groups of Catholic men and women throughout the country who are organizing in study groups and who would like some way to communicate with one another. There are many platforms and programs, and it is not the intention of the paper to embrace any one of these, but to give space to all. Peter Morin, whose name we misspelled in the last issue, has his program which is embodied in his contributions this month. Because his program is specific and definite, he thinks it better to withdraw his name from the editorial board and continue his contact with the paper as a contributor. As an editor, he says, it will be assumed that I sponsor or advocate any reform suggested in the pages of The Catholic Worker. I would rather definitely sign my own work, letting it be understood what I stand for. My program stands for three things. Roundtable discussions, and I hope to hold the first at the Manhattan Licentium this last Sunday of June. Why the Manhattan Licentium? Yes, I know that it is the place usually chosen by the communists and radicals for their meetings, but it is cheap. We can have a hall holding 150 people for 8 hours for $10. I have paid a deposit of 3. I have no more money now, but I hope to beg the rest. I hope everybody will come to this meeting. I want communists, radicals, priests, and laity. I want everyone to set forth his view. I want the clarification of thought. The next step in the program is houses of hospitality. In the Middle Ages, it was an obligation of the bishops to provide houses of hospitality or hospices for the wayfarer. They are especially necessary now, and necessary to my program is halfway houses. I am hoping that someone will donate a house, rent-free, for six months so that a start may be made. A priest will be at the head of it, and men gathered throughout our roundtable discussions will be recruited to work in the houses cooperatively and eventually be sent out to farm colonies or agronomic universities. Which comes to the third step in my program. People will have to go back to the land. The machine has displaced labor. The cities are overcrowded. The land will have to take care of them. I am not saying that my program is for everyone. It is for those who choose to embrace it. I am not opposed to private property with responsibility. But those who own private property should never forget that it is a trust. Personalist Peter Marin, May 1953. Summary Summarizes Peter Marin's worldview and discusses his new social order and how his life embodied his ideas, reveals the sources of his thought such as Proudhon, Kropotkin, Gardini, and Carl Adam. In 1932, Peter Marin, founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, was working at hard manual labor at Mount Tremper, New York, at a boys' camp where he mended roads, cut ice, and did other chores winter and summer, and received his living not a very munificent one, in return. As a French peasant, he lived on soup and bread. His account at the grocer did not come to more than a few dollars a week. He slept in the barn, which was as close to the stables as he could get. He spent seven years in the vicinity of Kingston, New York, studied, worked, and prepared what he liked to call the Green Revolution. Before this, he had traveled through the States and Canada as an unskilled laborer, Before that, he had worked in France, where he was born, at the one thing he was skilled at, teaching with the Christian brothers. But he believed, too, that the scholar had to become a worker, not only that he might understand the conditions and problems of the worker, but that the worker, too, might become a scholar, because Peter believed in the people changing their own conditions. He did not speak in terms of the masses being swayed by some dictator demagogue. Peter Marin studied the prophets of Israel and the fathers of the Church. He studied Proudhon, Karl Marx, Kropotkin, and familiarized himself with utopian socialist thought as well as Marxist thinking. He knew whom to turn among Catholic thinkers, and he introduced us to Romano Gardini, Karl Adam, Luigi Sturzo, Vincent McNabb among the priests, and to E.I. Watkin, Christopher Dawson, G.K. Chesterton, and Hilaire Belloc, as well as E.J. Penney, and Peter Karpokhtin, who was in a way his favorite among the lay writers. When he waved the encyclicals at us, it was not only the social encyclicals of the popes, but also that on St. Francis of Assisi. He preferred St. Francis's way to the industrial council way. He always aimed at the best, and to him voluntary poverty, manual labor was the beginning of all true reform, which was to begin with oneself. First of all, he was a personalist and a communitarian. People are always saying, they don't do this, and they don't do that. He would cry out in ringing accents, we is a community, they is a crowd. And a lonely crowd, David Reisman would say, himself crying out against the damned wantlessness of the poor. Peter would have liked Reisman's book as he would have liked Martin Buber's book, Paths in Utopia. He wanted people to be taught to want the best, and the best for him was the immediate program of the works of mercy, practice in the cities and farming communes, set up in the countryside where workers and scholars could get together to try to rebuild society within the shell of the old by founding better institutions to take the place of soulless corporations. He spoke and wrote in phrases so packed with thought that to expand them would mean the writing of a book. He saw the need for the works of mercy as a practice of love for our brother which was the great commandment and the only way we can show our love for Christ. And he saw too that such a practice would mean conflict with the state, Personal responsibility, not state responsibility, he always said. Peter's teaching meant the immediate establishment of houses of hospitality, because it was a time of depression, and not only the worker, but young Catholic college graduates were unemployed. Peter shocked people by calling for an abolition of the wage system and self-employment. Young people gave their service and unemployed workers gave their skills, and readers of the Catholic workers sent in material goods and money so that for the last 20 years we have kept going on the basis of voluntary poverty and abolition of the wage system, for those prefer to give their service rather than go out and earn a wage for them. This self-employment was an immediate remedy for unemployment, but the long-term program meant substituting a new social order to take the place of both capitalism and communism. Peter did not believe in the use of force to bring about this new society, So from the first we have opposed class war, race war, civil war, imperialist war, and have been surrounded by them all. There is even the war between the worker and the scholar, and Peter faced the reality of that. He spoke of the treason of the intellectuals, and also of the fault of the worker, who permitted his work to be treated as a commodity to be bought and sold. The impact Peter made on us all, from one end of the country to the other, so that houses of hospitality and farms were undertaken from coast to coast, was because he personally lived a life of poverty and work. He knew the skid rows of the country. He never asked anything for himself. His speech was yeah, yeah, and nay, nay. He was a great indoctrinator, a great agitator. He believed in a theory of revolution and advocated much study. The evil is so deep-seated, he said that of course much of the time will be given up to an immediate practice of the works of mercy. But he believed too, in constantly trying to create order out of chaos. To be a social missionary, he said, in one of his essays, requires social-mindedness, historical-mindedness, and practical idealism. Because Peter loved most of all what he called the Green Revolution, we are beginning our 21st year with emphasis on the land. Peter's Program, May 1955 Summary Outlines Peter Marin's program for social reordering, calls for a green revolution, a return to the village, finds his whole message embodied in personalism, which begins with oneself, blames the Catholic Worker's problems and its lack of ability to limit itself. With the May issue of The Catholic Worker, we begin now our 22nd year, Peter Marin, the founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, died in 1949, May 15th, on the feast of St. John the Baptist, de La Salle, in whose order of Christian brothers he had taught for five years as a young man in Paris. He was preeminently a teacher, an agitator he liked to call himself, and he brought to us great books and great ideas and great men, so that over the years we have become a school for the service of God here and now. Many have come and gone in this work, finding their vocation in religion or in the world. As usual, we went out into Union Square this May Day to distribute some 2,000 copies of the paper and to meet with old friends with whom we can talk of philosophical differences and with whom we are united in a passion for peace and justice. Peter's Book On this anniversary of Peter's death, we announce another edition of Peter Marin's Easy Essays to be published by Thistle Press, which is also bringing out another one of Fritz Etchenberg albums shortly there will be a few copies of the first one left. This book will not only contain Peter's essays in new format, but also some essays about Peter written by his friends, including one editorial from Blackfriars about Peter as a prophet. When we listened to Abbé Pierre this month and his talk of the need for prophets, to bring to men in power the needs of the poor, to cry out unceasingly for justice, we thought of Peter. Peter used to love to quote Eric Gill, who said that Jesus Christ came to make the rich poor and the poor holy. As for the destitute, we can only reach them with love and the works of mercy. performed personally at a sacrifice. You cannot preach to men with empty stomachs. Our Temptation Because Peter's program called for such practical things as houses of hospitality and farming communes or agronomic universities, we have often forgotten the first point in his program, which was the need for clarification of thought, the need to clarify the theory of revolution. He used to quote Lenin as saying, there can be no revolution without a theory of revolution. But Peter's was the Green Revolution, a call for a return to the villages and the land, to make that kind of society where it is easier for men to be good. Realizing that we had all too often leaped into the active work of trying to initiate these farming communes and agronomic universities when our vocation was to write and speak and go out into the highways and byways, and that even the model society wasn't the first step in changing men's hearts towards each other. We started in 1940 a retreat house where all could come and make five days silent retreat to begin again the work of putting off the old man and putting on our Lord, Jesus Christ. With him we could do all things, and without him we could do nothing. Our farms, Mary Farm and Peter Marne Farm, became once again houses of hospitality on the land as well as places where we could have retreats and days of recollection. People who need hospitality and who are suffering in body, mind, and soul are not the ones to be starting agronomic universities, even though God has always used the mean and lowly, the weak and powerless, to do his work. We will get the work initiated, that we know, and it is now all over the country things are being done that never would have been done if there had been no Peter Marin back in 1932 broadcasting his ideas through the new medium of the Catholic Worker. Before that, he had worked as an individual, spreading mimeograph sheets or even handwritten ones to all who would read, and stopped in the public squares all those who would listen. Personalism, Anarchism, Libertarianism His whole message was that everything began with one's self. He termed his message a personalist one, and was much averse to the word socialist, since it had always been associated with the idea of political action. The action of the city or the state. He wanted us all to be what we wanted the other fellow to be. If every man became poor, there would be not any destitute, he said. If everyone became better, everyone would be better off. He wanted us all to quit passing the buck and trying to pass on the work to George to do. He loved using American slang and his French peasant accent, which made it very funny, but it has kept his most popular essays from being appreciated in his native country, France. Freedom. Above all, it was in the name of man's freedom that Peter opposed all government ownership of the indignant, as one bishop put it. Men who were truly brothers would share what they had and that was the beginning of simple community. Two eyes make a we, he used to say, and we is a community, and they is a crowd, a lonely crowd, he would have added if he had read Reisman's book. Men were free, and they were always rejecting their freedom, which brought with it so many responsibilities. He wanted no organization, so the Catholic work groups have always been free associations of people who are working together to get out a paper, to run houses of hospitality for themselves and for others who come in, off the road. No class war. In addition to being opposed to international and civil wars, he was opposed to race wars and class wars. He had taken to himself that new constitution, that new rule of the Sermon of the Mount, and truly loved his enemies and wanted to do good to all men, including those who injured him or tried to enslave him. He literally believed in overcoming evil with good, hatred with love, He loved the rich as well as the poor, and he wanted to make the rich envy the poor who were so close to Christ, and to try to become closer to them by giving of their means to start these schools, farming communes, and agronomic universities. Houses of hospitality are always run by the generosity of the poor who work in them, and by the donations of the more comfortably off who send what they can to keep them going. But one realizes more and more that farmers and agronomists and craftsmen do not seek hospitality, do not come in off the road. They might give a year or so of their lives if there were the tools to work with, even the houses to live in. It is a pitiful thing to house priests in chicken coops even though they have the privacy of one room in these converted shelters. It is hard to expect a craftsman to work when he is cooped up in a dormitory and there is no space for his tools. we are all greedy. No, another one of our mistakes in the past is that we have wanted to be all things, to do all things, and while we have learned by doing, we have also learned what we cannot do. We can agitate, we can initiate, we can arouse the conscience, but we cannot start a housing project for the destitute as Abbe Pierre has in Paris, or a model village, or an agronomic university either. Part of Abbé Pierre's great wisdom is that he limited himself to that most important work of the day, sheltering the harborless without question with the love of his fellow poor. He himself had gone out to sleep in the doorways, on the hard pavements, in order to give his bed to a destitute woman and child, and in reward for this folly of love, he had been enabled to arouse the people of France, so that in a brief year, more was accomplished than he had ever been able to accomplish by his seven years in the House of Deputies in Paris how Peter would have loved his single-mindedness, his purity of vision. We have had many with us who could not find their vocation. There have been the wandering monks that St. Benedict talked of. They want religious life and life in the world. They want to have families and to preach, not teach. They wanted so much, not recognizing it was God himself they wanted, that they could not develop the talents God gave them, and wander year after year wondering what God wants them to do. Peter would tell them, first of all, earn a living by the sweat of your own brow, not someone else's. Choose a work that can be considered honorable, and can be classed under the heading of a work of mercy, serving your brother, not exploiting them. Man's work is as important to him as bread, and by it he gains his bread. And by it he gains love too, because he serves his brother, and love is an exchange of gifts. How often I have seen people begin to love each other because they work together, they began to know each other through the work they shared. Saint Benedict How Peter loved Saint Benedict, whose motto was, Work and Pray. He is happy, no doubt, that I, his co-worker, was professed last month as a full oblate of Saint Benedict. Attached to Saint Procopius Abbey, the mission of which is to work for unity between East and West, and which aims to set up a shrine to the Eastern Saints at the monastery at Lisley, Illinois. He loved St. Benedict because he said that what the workers needed most was a philosophy of work. He loved St. Francis because he said St. Francis, through his voluntary poverty, was free as a bird. St. Francis was the personalist, St. Benedict the communitarian. Peter Marin, 1877 to 1977. May, 1977. Summary. Recounts her first meeting with Peter Marin in 1932. His teaching style, his personal example, and his platform for the Catholic Worker. Roundtable discussions, houses of hospitality, and farming communes. Those were the three planks in Peter Marin's platform. When I first saw Peter Marin, My impression was of a short, broad-shouldered working man with a high, broad head covered with graying hair. His face was weather-beaten. He had warm gray eyes and a wide, pleasant mouth. The color of his shirt was dirty, but he had tried to dress up by wearing a tie and a suit, which looked as though he had slept in it. As I found out afterward, indeed he had. What struck me first about him was that he was one of those people who talk you deaf, dumb, and blind who each time he saw you began his conversation just where he had left off at the previous meeting, and never stopped unless you begged for rest, and that was not for long. He was irrepressible, and he was incapable of taking offense. The night I met Peter I had come from an assignment for the Commonweal, covering the communist-inspired hunger march of the unemployed to Washington. I had prayed at the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception that I might find something to do in the social order besides reporting conditions. I wanted to change them, not just report them, but I had lost faith in revolution. I wanted to love my enemy, whether capitalist or communist. I certainly did not realize at first that I had my answer in Peter Marin. I was thirty-five years old and I had met plenty of radicals in my time, and plenty of crackpots, too. People who had blueprints to change the social order were a dime a dozen around Union Square. At that time, Peter Marne was fifty seven, had never married, had been away from the church in his youth, had worked with Sanguiner and his social studies group in Paris, and had sold its paper Les Salons. He believed in going to the people in town and countryside, because first of all, he was the people himself. He was born in a tiny hamlet in the southern part of France, two hundred miles from Barcelona, one of a family of twenty four children. His own mother had died after she had borne her fifth child and his stepmother had had 19 and was still alive, he said. I did not like the idea of revolution, he once told me. I did not like the French Revolution, nor the English Revolution. I did not wish to work to perpetuate the proletariat. I never became a member of a union, even though here in America I did all kinds of hard labor. I was always interested in the land and man's life on the land. That is why I went homesteading in Canada, but after two years, after my partner was killed in a hunting accident, I went around Canada with work gangs and entered this country in 1911, where I have been ever since. When I first knew Peter, I was busy at a research job which kept me at the library until three in the afternoon. When I got home to my little apartment on East 15th Street, I'd find him there waiting for me, ready to indoctrinate, to give me a lesson in history from the Catholic point of view. He had been sent to me, he said, by George Shuster, later president of Hunter College, who at that time was editor of the Commonweal. George thought that we were alike in point of view, both interested in changing the social order and in reaching the masses with the social teaching of the church. I had been a Catholic only about four years, and Peter, having suggested that I get out a paper to reach the man in the street, started right in my education. He was a born teacher, and any park bench, coffee shop counter, bus, or lodging house was a place to teach. He believed in starting on a program at once, without waiting to acquire classroom or office or meeting hall. To reach the man in the street, you went to the street. Peter was literal. I had met Peter in December 1932, and the first issue of The Catholic Worker came out in time for the May Day celebration in Union Square, 1933. What Peter Marne was interested in was the publication of his essays, and my journalistic sense led me to report conditions as they were, to paint a picture of poverty and destitution, homelessness and unemployment, in short, to so arouse the conscience that the reader would be willing and ready to listen to Peter when he talked about things as they should be. Things as they should be Peter was very much afraid of class war and after his first easy essays were published, he could not quite understand why I wrote so much about interracial injustice, hard conditions of labor, inadequate housing. He much preferred to write about how things should be, houses of hospitality for the needy, charity exercised in every home, voluntary poverty and the works of mercy, farming communes and agronomic universities that would teach people to earn a living by the sweat of their own brows instead of someone else's. The Catholic Worker was financed like the publications of any radical splinter group. If we had a mimeograph machine, it would have been a mimeographed paper. But we found nothing but my typewriter, so we took out writing to a printer, found out it would cost fifty-seven to get two thousand five hundred copies of a small eight-page sheet the size of the nation, and boldly had it set up. There were no office, no staff, no mailing list. I had a small paycheck coming in for the research job which was just finishing. Two checks were due for articles I had written, but these were sorely needed to pay overdue rent and light bills. Father Joseph McSorley, the Paulist, paid me generously for a small job of bibliography, which I did for him. The late Father Ahreen, pastor of a black church in Newark, gave me ten dollars. Sister Peter Claver gave me one dollar, which someone had just given her. Those were our finances. We took that first issue of the paper into Union Square that May Day and sold it for one penny a copy to communists and trade unionists. Peter slept in the back of the Catholic Worker office, and he soon brought in an Armenian anarchist poet and a German agnostic to share his quarters with him and to provide sparring partners for round table discussions. He never took part in any of the work of the paper except to turn in each month half a dozen easy essays, many of which he insisted that we repeat over and over again. He was the kind of teacher who believed in repetition, restatement, and the continual return to first principles. He loved, however, to see visitors, and if none came into the office, he went out into the highways and byways and found them. The only time Peter got excited was when he found others agreeing with him, approving his ideas. Then his voice would rise, his eyes would shine, and he would shout out exultingly, he always expected so much in the way of results that I often felt called upon to put a damper on him, to tone down his optimistic enthusiasms, but I soon noticed that he was never depressed or discouraged by disappointments or failures. A failure such as that of the first roundtable discussion was an example. Peter had hoped for a great results from a series of Sunday afternoon discussions he had planned Optimistically, for the first one, he rented the ballroom of the Manhattan Licentium, where trade union conventions as well as balls were often held. Only twenty people showed up. They gathered around the speaker's table and had an uproarious discussion on political action versus Catholic action. After that, Peter rented a small meeting room. The waste of money, laboriously collected, did not bother him. There was plenty of money in the world, he believed, What was needed was men and women absorbed by the right ideas. Given the people, the money would follow. All one needed to do was pray. When bills piled up and creditors came, we used to go to church and pray. All of us taking turns, and we called this the picketing of St. Joseph. Once when I asked an unemployed chambermaid if she would take a half hour of picketing St. Joseph over at Precious Blood Church, she asked me if she was to carry a sign, Once, the printer sent us his bill with the notation, pray and pay. I asked Peter several times if he were not disappointed at the lack of success in indoctrinating the man on the street. I pointed to various examples of those who came to stay with us and whose condition seemed to get worse instead of better. Getting Down to the Roots People are just beginning to realize how deep-seated the evil is, he said soberly. That is why we must be Catholic radicals, we must get down to the roots. That is what radicalism is. The word means getting down to the roots. Peter, even in his practicality, tried to deal with problems in the spirit of the prophets of Israel and the fathers of the church. He saw what the industrial revolution had done to human beings and he did not think that unions and organizations, strike for higher wages and shorter hours, were going to be the solutions. Strikes don't strike me, he used to say when he went out to a picket line to distribute literature during a strike, but he came with us to hand out the literature, leaflets which deal with men and women's dignity and their need and right to associate themselves with their fellows in trade unions and credit unions, cooperatives, maternity guilds, etc. He was interested in far more fundamental approaches. He liked the name Radical, and he had wanted the paper to be called The Catholic Radical, to him workers-smacked of class war. What he wanted was to instill in all, worker or scholar, a philosophy of poverty and a philosophy of work. He was the layman always. I mean that he never preached, he taught. What a crying secularism, the separation of the material from the spiritual, his emphasis as a layman was on our material needs, our need for work, food, clothing, and shelter. Though Peter went weekly to confession and daily to communion, and spent an hour a day in the presence of the blessed sacrament, his study was of the material order around him. Though he lived in the city, he urged a return to the village economy, the study of the crafts and of agriculture. He was dealing with this world, in which God had placed us to work for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein justice dwelleth. He constantly urged individuals to practice the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, he urged bishops to establish houses of hospitality. Somehow the two planks of the program got mixed up. I can remember well enough how it happened. He had written a series of essays addressed to the bishops, pointing out to them that canon law called for the establishment of hospices in every bishopric. When a reader who had been sleeping in the subway came into the Catholic worker office one day and disclosed her need, the apartment and the offices were already full. Peter's literal acceptance of, if thy brother needs food or drink, feed him, and if he needs shelter, shelter him, meant that we rented a large apartment a block away, which became the first house of hospitality for women. Now we have two houses on First Street and Third Street. Here the works of mercy are still being practiced by the group who get out the Catholic worker, living without salaries in voluntary poverty. Feeding thy brother started with feeding a few poor men. It became a daily bread line in 1936 and the line still forms every day outside the door. Roundtable discussions, houses of hospitality, and farming communes, those with the three planks in Peter Marin's platform. There are still houses of hospitality, each autonomous but inspired by Peter, each trying to follow Peter's principles. And there are farms, all different, but all starting with the idea of the personalist and communitarian revolution, to use Emmanuel Moyniore's phrase. Peter was not disappointed in his life's work. He had given everything and he had asked for nothing, least of all for success. He gave himself, and at the end, God took from him the power to think. He was anointed at Easton for a bad heart condition, and a few years later, on May fifteenth, 1949, he died at Mary Farm in Newburgh, New York. Garbed in a donated suit of clothes... He was buried in a donated grave in St. John Cemetery, Brooklyn. Obituaries were not only found in The Industrial Worker, a Chicago IWW paper which was on the subversive list, but also in the Observatory Romano in Vatican City, which carried its notice on the front page. God has taken him into paradise with Lazarus, who once was poor. May he bring us, too, to a place of refreshment, light, and peace. Thank you for listening to A Day a Week, with new episodes out each Friday. A Day a Week podcast is a podcast of the Tradiste Catholic Social Action Network, an organizing hub for direct and strategic action and faithful and orthodox support of Catholic social teaching. Christ is the solution. Please reach out through the Podbean or DM me on Twitter to recommend essays of Day and Marin that you would like recorded. Thank you all, and remain in Christ's peace. et Bono